Welcome to Search the Dark Five with search engine optimization and marketing expert Robert O'Haver and Michelle Stinson Ross. Powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. All right, welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live. I'm super excited. With me today is Michelle Stinson Ross. Michelle, how's it going? It's going well. Good afternoon, Robert. We have had some amazing guests. We've had the who's who in the industry on our show, and I'm very blessed to have that. Uh, Today is no exception. Um, Brian Dean of Backlinko, he has every three or four months, I'm emailing him, hey, Brian, can you be on the show? (laughs) He's always busy. So finally, with no avail, welcome to the show, Brian. Well, thanks, Robert. And also, congrats, Robert and Michelle, for 100 episodes. I mean, that is a a milestone, especially if you plan to do five and you get to 100. I mean, there's just a ton of hard work, I'm sure, that goes on behind the scenes to to reach this milestone. So congrats to you guys for, for 100 episodes. Thank you. Now, to give you guys some stats, we have hit... As of our 100th episode, 66,500 downloads and plays of the show, and we have 9,000 followers on Sprecher, a little over 9,000, which I think is pretty awesome. So, uh, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and Backlinko? So, uh, I'm the founder of an SEO training company called Backlinko. Most people know of my site and business from the blog, the backlinko.com blog, or my YouTube channel, which is the Backlinko YouTube channel. And basically, my blog teaches people actionable strategies that they can use to get higher rankings and more traffic. Very nice. And you're you're hands-on, aren't you? How do you mean? You're you're actually doing these techniques. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So <laughs> that's one of the yeah, that's one of the things that that um well, I love SEO first of all. So for me to be hands-on I love it. So I'd never want to be hands off and let other people do the the so-called dirty work. I like that stuff. I yeah. love experimenting, testing new things, seeing how it goes, learning new strategies, testing new strategies, uh, helping other people implement the strategies to see how they work in different industries. Mm-hmm. So I'm all about that stuff. I absolutely love it. So, um, And that's one of the competitive advantages I have over most people in SEO because most people in SEO just talk about theoretical crap about what might work and – they don't really they haven't actually done anything in in many years to actually to get results. So I see it as something that I like and also I'm motivated because it's something that can help me and my content be different and stand out from the other SEO content out there because I can point to it and say, "Hey, this is something I actually tried and it worked." Nice. But if you have questions during the show and I'm sure somebody's got some questions for Brian um, you can go to Twitter and type in hashtag search talk live and we will answer your questions live on the air. So without further ado, let's get to it. Where would you like to start? Let's talk about uh, skyscraper. You can give us a, Oh, please. Yes. Let's talk about skyscraper. Okay. So, uh, basically that started when to give you a backstory on that, I had a client um, in the precious metal industry, which is kind of a tough one because it's super regulated. Content is is tough to write about because it, like this guy sold gold and silver bullion bars and coins and stuff. So it's kind of almost for preppers, mm-hmm. if you know that community. 
not not necessarily for preppers, but people who are kind of like disillusioned with paper money. They wanted this this hard currency that they could get because otherwise, you know, you're not going to get a gold bullion bars just for for fun. So <laughs> it was kind of a tough audience too because this audience was like into this prepper stuff, and um, and I noticed the content out there about how to. Like if you just if say you're someone who's like, hey, you know what? I don't believe in in paper money or the value is going down, or I want to diversify and have some real assets like in my house, in a safe or in a bank that I can get. There wasn't a lot out there between do you, should I get a bar? Should I get a coin? There's all these different coins. There's like old coins. There's new coins. It was hard, and I noticed that there wasn't anything that helpful in terms of um, getting gold and silver. So I started to look what was out there and what did well was was okay, but it was a good starting point if you didn't know what you're doing, but it didn't have everything. So I decided to take it to another level and that did really well for that client. And I repeated that for some of my own properties that I had, not back Linko, some others that I own. And it also did well. And logically, it makes sense that this should do well. You're basing your content off of what, what has already done well. So the three-step process is basically you find content that's done well. You make it better and then you promote the new piece of content. And it's one of the ways is I was able to get back Linko to stand out in the early days, which as you know, Robert, SEO is a competitive space. There's tons of people in it. Like you said, you interviewed 99 people before me. I'm sure they all started before I did in the industry. So it was hard for me to get my name out there. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I did it was through the skyscraper technique. I just found what worked and improved upon it. And then I had this kind of like meta thing going on where I talked about the skyscraper technique and how it helped me. And that's one of the reasons that it became popular and well-known. Very nice. Well, I mean, tell us some, some of the key factors in your skyscraper. I mean, obviously you're finding content that works already, but I mean, what else are you doing? Well, I mean, you're basically improving it and improve is such a vague term. You know, improving could be anything. Uh, some of the common things you can do to improve content is is add detail, and that's what I did with this golden bullion example. Mm-hmm. Was the content out there had a decent amount of detail to get going, but it lacked. It didn't have everything. Every single way you could invest in gold and, and silver in terms of buying it physically. So I decided to expand on that and have that content so it's one-stop shopping. So instead of having to go to one post and then you got to go to another one to learn about another thing and everything, you have it all in one place. So being comprehensive is one of the easiest ways usually to create skyscraper content. Now, of course, it can get ridiculous. Like if there's something that has 100 tips, you create 500 tips and then it's just stupid at that point. It actually doesn't add any value. It detracts. But in most cases, in most industries, there's a lack of, of good comprehensive content, and that's that's usually the best way to do it. You can also improve on the design of your content, which is something I don't see a lot of content marketers do. And this is something that Neil Patel from Quicksprout taught me um, when I first met him was you know, there's a lot of content out there. Yours is good. Mine's good. And one of the ways I can stand out is is to actually make it better looking, make it visually appealing. And he learned that from his time at Kissmetrics because when the Kissmetrics blog launched, they didn't really have a following. They're just getting going and they did a bunch of infographics. And that really taught him that that visual content can work well. The, the, the rub is that it's harder to create it. It takes more um, time and usually money to, to have a designer create visual content. But that's another way you can have yours stand out. You can also um, 
use more examples. So a lot of times you read content online and it's on the vague side. It doesn't have any meat. It doesn't have any details. It doesn't tell you – show you someone who's actually done it. That always tends to do well both for SEO but also for social media because people love sharing stories mm-hmm. and also real-life examples. You can never go wrong with that. You can also add more um, – you can make it easier to read, so improve the readability. So there might be content out there that's good. It's comprehensive but it's dry to read or it's um, – the sentences are really long. Paragraphs are really long. It's a wall of text. You can format it and add the readability. So you know the possibilities are really endless when it comes to how can you improve your content and create your taller version of the skyscraper. The only limit is your imagination. But those are the most common ways to do it and the ways that I've seen work best. Gotcha. So you're talking – so you don't have that wall of text. You're breaking it up with – other content like videos or or images and that type of stuff correct yeah that's that's the one great way to do it you can also just break up the text itself it doesn't have to be with with visual media like you can use subheaders which which work really well i mean this is like old school stuff from the early days of the web that uh nielsen norman studies that i read about back in the day Mm-hmm. I'd still apply today, if not more, because of mobile devices, that people like the content in tiny little chunks. So subheaders work well, single sentence paragraphs work well. Um, kind of like you see on social media, they have the broetry where you have like single sentences go down in a, in a post on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, it, it works well in blog posts too. And I actually learned that from the Nielsen Norman studies, which you can link to if you want. There's tons of them from like 98. They're old as hell, but they still apply. Mm-hmm. And also the New York Times website back in the day when I start when I when I first started reading it, this was probably like 2002 or something that I noticed that they had single sentence paragraphs. So they must have learned a long time ago that people online, unlike with the newspaper itself, don't really like the traditional paragraph where you kind of open with an idea, you add the details and you end one. It's just just keep it going with one to two sentence paragraphs and that that helps readability on the web. So I've applied that. That's another way you can break it up and make your content more readable. You can also just improve the writing quality, like just write better, become a better writer or hire someone who's better than the the people that wrote the other stuff out there. So let me ask you this. I mean, are you changing it up from basically the first paragraph being a summary of your story or are you still keeping with that kind of? because of the way people read to pull them in more or yeah i uh, definitely the first like four or five lines that introduction is much more important than the content in the middle mm-hmm. uh so you should I, I recommend spending more time there than on the the same five lines in the middle of your post because usually if you hook them there and the middle of your post if it's a little weak it's okay obviously you should make it as strong as possible but it's just impossible to spend you know, like an hour on every five lines of your post. It's just not happening. But the intro can be worthwhile. That's where most people decide to stay or leave. So the headline's really important. Everyone knows that. But once you get them there, the your job is really only half done. Because at that point they can click away, they can stay for a while, and most of that relies on the intro. If your intro is weak and you lose them or it's formatted wrong. You're probably going to lose them for good, but if you can hook them there, even if your your rest of your content isn't perfect, you've got them sort of hooked and invested, and they're more likely to keep reading and stay on your page and share your stuff or sign up for your newsletter, buy your thing, whatever your goal is of your content. Right. Well, and that also plays into the position zero 
aspect, uh, particularly of Google search, where, you know, you may very well need that content to work hard in a knowledge graph position as well. That's that's true, Michelle. So and and the thing is, it's a great point because Google in the position zero, they're rotating different results there and seeing what sticks. So if yours sticks and compels people to re- to click and read it, they're going to keep you there. But if yours is dull and boring and everyone's clicking the number one and two result, they're going to try rank brain is going to try to rotate something else in there. Mm-hmm. Um, if I may. How about the actual link building aspect of this? So obviously you're crafting a piece of content that does a better job than anything else out there on the web for that particular topic, for that particular keyword, whatever. So take us through the process of actually getting people to link back to it because just putting it out there isn't going to get the job done. That That's true. That, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people gloss over this stuff. And I've had people email me saying, hey, I I followed the skyscraper technique. I found something that worked. I created something better and it didn't work. What's wrong? And and, <laughs> and the, the problem was who's going to see it? How you know how it's not uh, 2007 anymore. You have to promote your stuff or else people aren't going to see it. There's just too much content out there already, especially if you don't have an audience already. You have to work 10 times harder to get the word out about your content. In fact, uh, Derek Halpern from Social Triggers, he recommends spending 80% of your time on promotion and 20% on creation when you're first starting out. I don't necessarily agree with the ratio, but it gives you an idea of, of how hard you need to work to get your content out there and just publishing isn't enough. So it's a great point. How do you do it? There's a million different link building strategies out there. What tends to work well for the skyscraper technique is to see who already links to the content you improved upon or similar content. So for example, let's say you had uh, – you're trying to write something about the paleo diet and you saw a you know, a guide to the paleo diet that was OK but it, it didn't have a lot of detail. It didn't cite research studies. It, it didn't help X, Y, and Z. It wasn't visually appealing, whatever, and you improved it. Now, you can find all the people that link to that first piece of content you found because they're already linking to that. They're very likely to link to you. So, for example, when you link, when you reach out to random people and ask them to link to you, the conversion rate is like 2% usually, 2 or 4% depending on a lot of factors. But this tends to be higher, like 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10% because that person is so primed to link to you because they're already linking to something similar. Now, to be clear, I don't recommend asking them to like replace that link with yours because that's shady. They should just add your link in addition to the link that's already there. That's what I tend to do. It works well. Of course, link building, there's a million ways to do it. But for this particular strategy, this third step, that works well um, in my experience. Nice. And then what about outreach? I mean, other than what you just spoke about, um, you know, going after sites that maybe you can get more links from. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point, Robert, because this is a finite number of links that you can get from this, right? So, you know, let's say the the five pieces of content you based yours on all have together a hundred links, and you get a ten percent conversion rate, which is like crazy. That's ten links. That's nice. Like yeah. I'll take 10 links any day of the week, but it's probably not going to get you to number one in Google for your target keyword. So you need to incorporate other strategies into the mix to do it. And one of my favorites is broken link building. 
And basically how that works is that you find broken links on the web that are linking to pretty much anything in your industry. And then you use that as a way to get your foot in the door with someone. And you say, hey, you have this broken link. Um, anyway, I also have this, this resource you might want to link to. And it's just a good way of, of having a quid pro quo exchange instead of just link begging. And, and in fact, when it comes to my link, I've sent out th- tens of thousands of outreach emails. And that has always had probably the best conversion rate of, of any strategy. And um, it, the tricky part is, f- or is finding the broken links. But fortunately, recently, tools like Ahrefs and Majestic and other link analysis tools have created a, a feature where you can put a website into Ahrefs or, and you can just look at the broken links they have on their site. So you could, if I wanted to get a, a link from Search Talk Live, I could just put that into Ahrefs and I could see right away all your broken links. That way I could easily craft an email to you and say, hey, Robert, um, I noticed these broken links on your site. Um, anyway, I have this piece of content that's similar to one of the broken links. You might just want to replace it with yours. Because the problem with letting someone know about a broken link is that then they have to look for a replacement. It's a huge pain. This way you're making the job easier by saying, hey, you don't have to look for a replacement. You don't have to change the anchor text necessarily. You just have to change the link with mine. And it, it benefits everyone. It's one of the few win-wins in SEO. Yeah. That's the low-hanging fruit, right? <laughs> yeah. So what about using other tools like uh, – Haro or something like that. Yeah, Haro is great. Um, the the has its pros and cons. So the you know the pros that you get featured in the, you can get featured in the big sites, the the New York Times and the other you know Inc. dot com, Entrepreneur, Forbes, all those sites. The journalists are on there looking for sources. Mm-hmm. The downside is everyone and their mom knows about Haro. I actually signed up for it in two thousand eight when Peter Shankman first. T- turn it into a newsletter and i was getting links like all day long it was like fish in a barrel it was like the gold it was like the holy grail of link building but things have changed and now everyone knows about it so the journalists are more strict about who they accept it's harder to get your link in there a lot of times they'll they'll feature you your quote or stat and not link to you they'll just do like a mention Mm-hmm. So it has its downsides like anything in life. But if you have some and you got to be fast, like you got to be on it. There's three emails a day. You got to have you have to be there or have someone on your team be there to read through them right away, find one that's a fit, craft a response, send it over and and hope for the best. Now, there are a couple of things you could do to increase the odds on Harrow, one of which is copy and paste stuff, which journalists love because journalists are busy. They don't want to write for you. So if you tell them, hey, blah, 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 I'm Brian Dean. I know a lot about SEO. Let me know if you have any questions. It doesn't work. you got to be like, here's exactly the quote, including how you describe yourself. So I, I send it like this. I'm like, according to Brian Dean, the founder of Backlinko.com, and I put the quote, which usually includes a stat, which they also love. You know, 80% of websites, blah, blah, blah. They love that because they can just copy and paste it in the article. It makes their life a lot easier, and it's another win-win. Nice. It's kind of like coming from a third party <laughs> yeah exactly it seems like it they yeah. and and it's less work for them because they're they're looking for sources but they're also looking to fill up their article with content so if you can provide that to them they'll just copy and paste because the other people that email them are just going to try to pitch them or they're not going to have a good pitch <coughs> um and actually someone else who i recommend for your podcast if you haven't had him already dimitri dragalev from criminally prolific he's a pr expert and he mm-hmm. taught me a lot about 
how to pitch journalists and um, especially on Harrow. He's like a good – he's like an online PR expert. He's really good. Wow. So he's taught me a lot about – like, yeah, he's really – he's a good guy. So he taught me a lot about how to craft my pitches and make them better. Like I learned a little bit from doing it from Harrow, but I still didn't really know what I was doing. And, and he really helped me with a lot of um, sage advice. Nice, nice. Hey, Brian, I have a question for you. Um, I had to giggle a little bit at the title of um, the page for your skyscraper technique on backlinko.com because it's like how how I increased my search traffic in 14 days. Can, can we be a little honest and discuss how long does it really take to develop, you know, a good set of quality links back to a, a page? I mean, yeah, you can you can catch lightning in a bottle every once in a while and, and something take off that quick, but that's not normally how fast it happens, right? That that's true. That and that's a really good point. Um this was a light probably lightning in a bottle example where a lot of things went right. You know, like I found and I had done it before, you know what I mean? So it's it's that kind of experience. So I found I knew which piece of content to base mine off. I I improved it in the right ways. I reached out to the right people and I knew all the little tricks, like the, the best time to send outreach emails to people, all that stuff. You know what I mean? It was like, it helped a lot. I wouldn't necessarily call it lightning in a bottle, but there's that element of, of course, chance in it and also experience. So if it's your first time executing it, it's not going to double your search engine traffic. It also depends on where you're at. I was just starting the blog it's a lot easier to go from, let's say, you know, a thousand organic visitors a month to two thousand than a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand, right? So I got a hundred ten percent increase, but the numbers, I was just starting out, so it's it's easier, a lot easier to double your traffic if you're already established and doing well. It can take some time um, to to double it. So yeah, that's a good point. So it, it's hard to put a number on it because it's kind of like how long is a piece of string. In my case, I was able to double my organic traffic with that one. Uh, that one campaign, other times it can take months. It depends on how competitive industry is, what keywords you're targeting, if you have any brand affinity already. There's just a lot of stuff. But yeah, to make a long story short, 14 days is definitely the exception, not the rule. And SEO is generally a months, not years proposition. That said, a lot of agencies who um, don't do great work will say, hey, SEO takes months and this is why it's not, we're not getting results and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'd say within like 90 days, you should at least see something. Of course, expecting to double your traffic in 90 days is not reasonable, but you should right. see a step in the right direction. If you don't see any results in 90 days, you're probably doing something wrong. Well Good said. to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was starting to wonder, Michelle, where you were going with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds like it's a good like, point because it well, can that's, be. That's one of those things. I look at the headline. I'm going, that can't be right. Yeah. Well, it was. It was what happened. So, but like I said, caveat one is like I was starting out, so it's easier, to, a lot easier to double your traffic. Caveat two, I had a lot of experience executing it. So if you're just starting out, it may, it's probably not going to go as well. Um, but also I was in a competitive industry. So it's, it's, it's a little harder to double your traffic. So I was working against me, but yeah, you're right. The, the doubling of traffic is not an expectation that you should have going into using the skyscraper technique or basically anything that a one one off uh, strategy or campaign. So Brian, let's touch on something real quick for the listeners. Let's talk about the importance of having a mailing list. Um, basically, when you're building, when you're starting out and you've built yourself up to be a known authority in the industry like yourself or, or something like that, how important is that? 
It's so important, Robert. And I, and I wish more people in SEO talked about it. So I don't understand this, but everyone in SEO, they're focused on social media as like the, you know, they have these kind of, there's SEO and then around it, you have like content marketing, you have social media, you have some conversion stuff. But I don't hear a lot of people talking about building your email list. And when I talk to like the big successful businesses online, the big successful marketers online outside mm -hmm. of SEO, it's all they talk about. Like when I go to conferences that aren't SEO conferences and I talk to people, all they're talking about is building their email list, what to send to their email subscribers, how to convert to email subscribers. Like everything in their business is about email. Yeah. And maybe because it's old, it's not interesting to people anymore compared to Snapchat or whatever the new social network is. But from anyone that has worked with a business that's had an email list, and if you compare it to social media, it's a joke. You know, it makes you just want to delete your social media accounts because it's there's garbage compared to email. Like it's not even close. It's 20 to 1, 50 to 1 in some cases. It's not even remotely close. Social media has its place, don't get me wrong, but nothing beats email. Um, and, and and people in SEO underestimate the power of email when it comes to SEO yeah, because, yeah. you know, when you publish a piece of content, um, like we were talking about before, it's not easy to get eyeballs on it. You know, there's a lot of content out there that came out according to WordPress, just WordPress sites, powered sites alone, 2 million blog posts come out every day, which is crazy. That doesn't include like tweets and Facebook posts and LinkedIn updates or whatever they're called and YouTube videos and all this stuff. I mean, your competing gets a lot of content. And one of the best ways to get eyeballs on it is an email newsletter that you can send out and say, hey, I have this new piece of content. You might want to check it out. And it's another great win-win because your subscribers are getting great content. They're also seeing it and they can share it and, and distribute it around, which is way better than using Facebook, you know, boosted posts or um, Outbrain or all those other services stumble upon. I hear SEOs talk about this stuff all the time and it's nice. It can it can help a little bit. But it, uh, email list is like a superpower. And that's not even talking about sales. If you want to actually sell stuff, forget it. It's not even right. close. Just in the world of content promotion and SEO, it's way better. Then when you want to sell stuff – it's, you know, it's, there's basically email and, and everything else. Yeah. I mean, you're building an audience and you're building trust in your brand or your, you know, for example, Backlinko, I first originally discovered you through YouTube running, cause I, you know, I consume a lot of SEO and all this other industry content and, uh, I was really impressed. So, you know, it's, it's, it's similar to, you know, hitting that bell so that every time something new comes out, you get a notification. Exactly. It's a good, it's a great analogy. So, you know, the bell is cool because people know when you post something, but uh, you can't control the messaging that, that well. And, Correct. Uh, you know what I mean? In the email, in, for example, last week I sent an email, it didn't even promote anything. It was just like a, a good story and a case study of how to improve your traffic. And it was just, it's just like a goodwill thing to send to your subscribers and when you do that kind of stuff, it separates you so much from other people that are spamming uh, people when they sign up for the newsletter that yeah. it can work great. So yeah, for me, I focus on the on the newsletter a lot and, and, and building email lists, but not just building it, but also helping build a relationship with the people on your list. It's hard as the list gets big and people email you, can't get back to everybody, but yeah. in terms of just sending them good stuff um, and, and setting expectations that I'll send you good stuff, also – it's, you know, Backlinko is a business. I will offer, you know, premium training products now and again. That's part of the deal. Um, 
and and because I've been so upfront with people, there's no it doesn't seem like a bait and switch when I ultimately sell something. So yeah, right. of course you talk about building sending good stuff and you should do that, but you should also be upfront with people and not and otherwise it seems like a bait and switch if you're saying them good content and then all of a sudden you sell something. Sure. But I mean it also it goes back to don't just sit there and sell, 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 sell because you'll run them off. You know, absolutely. You'll get also get spam complaints and delivery pro- deliverability problems. Like no good can come from that, and you're probably not going to sell that well anyway. Because um, the thing about email that the down one of the downsides of email is that it's hard to rem- it's hard to remember that these are people on the other end of the emails that you send out. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it can be like, oh, if I send you know f- an email to fifty thousand people and X people convert, I'll make this much money. And it's it doesn't work like that a lot of times because there's a person in that there's 50,000 people you're sending it to and that person has to ultimately decide to buy what you sell. And if you haven't built up any goodwill or trust, it's or it's not going to happen no matter how how many spam emails you send somebody. Yeah. All right, Brian, we got to take a break real quick. Just hold for a second. Today's episode of Search Talk Live is sponsored by. Hey, Robert. You're here early for the show. Yeah, I got a ton of SEO work done this morning, and I got it done way ahead of schedule. Couldn't have done it without Ahrefs. Yeah, so much easier than using multiple programs and having data in a bunch of different places. Plus, being able to see what is holding a page back from ranking in Ahrefs is so much faster than picking through each part myself. Oh, yeah, I agree. We use Ahrefs because it's so easy to teach people at our agency how to use it. Their YouTube tutorials couldn't be better. It's one thing to have a tool. It's another thing to know your team is using it to its full capacity. I don't think there's an easier, more complete tool than Ahrefs. Hey, Robert, why don't you hit them up to be a sponsor of the show? I am way ahead of you. Ahrefs, the official SEO tool of Search Talk Live. Try their new seven-day trial for only $7. Go to Ahrefs.com. That's Ahrefs.com. Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy until now. Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Learning a lot from Search Talk Live, but don't know what specific SEO actions you should be taking on your website? Or maybe you've tried to implement SEO on your website, but haven't gotten the results you were aiming for. We've all been there. That's why we here at Pixel Cut Labs created the SEO Project Planner. It's a one-time project where our SEO team runs a full site crawl, overlays data from leading SEO tools, and manually audits every page on your website. We'll use our findings to craft a strategic plan that covers everything from your link building strategy to page level technical SEO and content recommendations. The project planner is perfect for businesses that are serious about SEO and want to hit a home run by leveraging our proven SEO strategy. 
To learn more and to see pricing for your project, visit pixelcutlabs.com STL or text STL to 31996. Pixel Cut Labs, welcome to page one. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. And remember, you can go to Twitter and type hashtag search talk live, but now we're going to go right into it. Seeing a lot of results with, like you were saying, with the long form detailed content. What are you finding or the factors there other than obviously good content? <laughs> yeah. And it's you mean the fact is like why it works. Oh, man, it's it's hard to say. I think it's a, it's a lot of things. I think one of which that's probably not as big anymore because more people are doing longer content is this awe factor. So, you know, many years ago, Jonah Berger from the University of Pennsylvania uh, did a study of the New York Times most emailed list. And he basically found that articles that elicited a strong feeling of awe, like AWA, um, tended to get shared more often. There's something innate in human psychology where when we see something awe-inspiring, we tend to want to share it instinctively, and he found that. So I think with the longer content, a lot of times you see it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. That alone can get you – can make you more likely to share it. Um, I also think just like having so much information in one place is is one of the factors. So you know, like Napoleon said – uh, quality has a quantity all of its own. It's kind of the yeah. same idea. Like you just have that much in one place. It tends to um, elicit some sort of reaction from someone. I think also there's some technical stuff involved. Like, you know, SEO um, is a lot, a big part of our like user experience signals, which is how users interact with the search results. So someone clicks in your result and they bounce right away. It's probably not a good signal. It may not be that Google uses just that signal, but along with other stuff, it can inform them and say, hey, this is a bad result. Or if someone spends a long time on a result and doesn't tend to bounce back, this is a good result. Um, and longer content just naturally makes that that dwell time, which is how long someone spends on your page, a bit longer. There's just more to digest on the page. And um, also maybe links. You know, longer content elicits that feeling of awe. It looks like a lot of work went into something. And also it is actually more comprehensive. It's not just words, you know, if it's not just a bunch of gibberish, people are more likely to link to it too. So I think it's just it's just good all across the board. Of course, there are certain keywords where it, it makes sense to do the opposite and just be super short and brief and give someone the, the answer to the question. But in a lot of cases, most keywords that – you need to describe a process or help someone answer a question. A lot of times the longer stuff works better. And those are some of the reasons why. So, you know, what, what blows my mind and it works, so I guess we can't question it, but mobile, you would think long form content on a mobile device is not really, you know, a, a good experience. I love it when you're thinking the exact same thing I am, Robert. Yes, please, Brian, answer this question. You guys are so cute, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, honestly, it's one of those things where I just you can't necessarily explain it, but it's true. I think it depends. It's it's I think it's less dependent on the device than the the query. The keyword is ultimately the most important thing because people a lot of times search for different stuff on their mobile device than on their desktop. So when you're in your desktop, a lot of times you're doing like shopping. Let's say a lot people still don't shop on their phones that much. According to a lot of industry studies, they'll do a little bit of research, but they won't actually make the purchase. So a good example are like reviews or comparisons. So if you're looking for a drone, for example, you know, you might want to read some reviews and 
you know, 200 words is not enough to tell you which drone to get. Because you've got to think of factors like price, durability, battery life, camera, all this stuff. And it just requires a lot, which is, would be more likely to be on a desktop versus like, you know, best cafes in New York City. If you're on the street, you might want to just look at like five cafes. Each description's you know, 50 words. Boom, you're good to go. Um, so I don't necessarily think longer content is great for mobile, but even in mobile search results, longer content ranks better. So right. there's probably just in general – longer content does better whether that'll be the case in you know years from now i have no idea but right now in general it works better for most most keywords that i've looked at so it's kind of if it ain't broke don't fix it (laughs) yeah it's definitely counterintuitive but it's counterintuitive even from a desktop because i've always read from people that forget mobile or desktop or tablet people online have short attention spans they don't want to read long stuff they hate long content they want brief little tweets right but when it comes to actual reality and testing, longer content does better. So as counterintuitive as counterintuitive as it is, and it definitely is, it works in most cases. Not to say every piece of content needs to be you know x number of words or it even needs to be long, but um, it's something to at least consider if you're only producing shorter stuff. I think that you you kind of got around to it in saying that it really does depend on what question you're trying to answer. Um, what is it that you're trying to do in service of the user that's actually reading it? And my rule of thumb for content writers that I've worked with over the years is like, look, whatever your topic is, explain it as fully and as carefully and as comprehensively as you can. If it's a really easy bit to answer and a short answer will get the job done, then we're going to give a short answer. But if this is something that's complicated, that there's lots of things to consider about it, it it really does depend on the topic. And and you're right. It depends on the intent of the query. Uh, Am I asking for something that I intend to get a quick answer, move on with my life, or is this something that I'm in research mode and I want to educate myself about? Those are considerations that need to be taken when creating the content. And I really feel like for us and typical of what I've worked with over the course of the years has been, let's make sure that we're just serving the public that's asking about this particular topic or delving into this particular topic that we do a good job with the topic and let that guide how long the piece is. Yeah, that, that's well said. Definitely. So Brian, let's get into this. Let's, let's talk about some tools that you like to use uh, when writing content. Well, when writing content, I don't really like use many tools. Um, I've seen some tools that, you know, that try to help the writing process. And I'm not talking about like, I don't think you need to be like Jack Kerouac and type on a typewriter and stuff like that, or go to a mountain and and write your content. I'm not trying to get like all um, hippie on you, but I don't think tools help the writing process that much in terms of keyword research. Yeah, of course. In terms of optimizing your content. Sure. But in terms of actually putting pen to paper, I don't think there – I haven't seen too many tools that help. I just tend to use like uh, uh, a blog post. I usually Google Doc or I use the WordPress post editor and I outline and then I fill in all the blanks. Well, I mean when you're when you're researching what you want to write about. Yeah, OK. Well, that's the, – uh, the best tool is really Google. 
um, because they te- that tells you what's already done well. Um, it's easy and fast to use. It's free. It kind of has it all when it comes to topic research. I don't just use Google, but I definitely use that as to find topics that have done well in the industry. Also, just to get a general sense of like what's out there versus what's not, because you know it's one thing to take something that's already done well and make it better, and that works. That's the skyscraper technique. It works, but you can also just create something totally different um, because if, if you know the nine results are already good. It doesn't really – or great even. It doesn't make sense to make it 5% better. It's not going to help you versus creating something totally different. Mm-hmm. That can usually work. So it's good to just Google around and just get a sense of what's out there. Otherwise, you're just kind of working in a black box and not really – you don't really know what content you're competing with. Right. How, um, go ahead. If you don't mind. How do you use that same sort of tool, that same sort of idea when you know you want to fill a content gap? In other words, what am I looking for? What do I need to do to spot a gap in, you know, there's a lot of good content out there, but where's the hole and how can I fill that hole? How do I go looking for that? Yeah, that's a good question, Michelle. And and I think one of the, the you hit it before when you said, what does this user want? Really hard to to know, right? But um, at the end of the day, Google is is all about user intent. So if that person's intent is to research something, they want you to spend a lot of time on the page. And that shows that you're doing your research and you enjoy the result. If you're just looking for a thing near you or um, an easy answer to the question, that's where the knowledge graph comes in. It just gives you the answer. So w- the gap can be some of those cookie cutter things that I mentioned earlier, like if it's not comprehensive enough, it's not visual, it's not uh, detailed, the writing's bad. Those can be all, those are basically content gaps. But um, the better you understand the searcher, the better you can do with the content gaps because you can see what's out there and say, hey, it's missing step three. That's the most important one. This person has no idea what they're talking about. So I'm going to create a piece of content that has step number three. So it's it's hard to say like this is step by step how you do it, but that's the basic gist. If you understand what that searcher wants, you can see what content doesn't provide it. And do you do any keyword research at all? Oh, totally. Keyword okay. research is huge. <laughs> so I'm a huge keyword research fan. Even though you know there's topic stuff and Google's getting more advanced, I do still believe keywords are really important. So I spend a lot of time doing that, and and I kind of go in two directions with with coming up with topics. It's either I find the topic first and then I try to like jerry rig it around a keyword that already exists. It doesn't tend to work as well mm-hmm. a lot. So what I tend to do now is I find a keyword that um, is popular or is trending up or whatever, doesn't have a ton of competition. And then I create a piece of content around it. Sometimes I'll just skyscraper, say, okay, you know, around this keyword, there's nothing really that great. So I'll create something better. Or sometimes I'll say, you know what, there's, the content out there is pretty good, which in our industry tends to be the case. I'm going to create something just different and unique to stand out. Nice. All right. Now there's, there's common misconceptions here and I want you to clear up your thoughts on this. Um, a lot of people are saying you must do X amount of posts per week or what is your take and how many posts yourself do you put out in a month? Oh man, don't get me started on this, Robert. We got, we're wrapping up. I don't know if I have enough time <laughs> to go over this one. Um, you know, the post per week thing, here, let's just put it this way. The people that that say that are well-meaning but misguided. So right. it's it's that a lot of those people who are the professional bloggers or the influencers in, in the SEO and blogging space, they started back in the day. 
And back in the day, it did actually help you to publish often because it was unique. Like that was enough to stand out. So, um, you know, a good friend of mine, John Jantz from, from duct tape marketing, when he started his blog, he told me when he was publishing, like just blog posts every couple of days and they were just different, like just new piece of content, people were blown away. He said that really was something that helped him differentiate from the other uh, marketing sites out there was he blogged. And this was probably back in like 2006 when he started his blog, 2007, I'm not exactly sure. But he told me that and he says now he realizes that, you know, things have changed and that doesn't that doesn't work as well as it used to because now everyone's publishing all the time and there's tons of content. There's plenty to read. Back then, there wasn't that much to read. If you remember the early days of the internet, like I used to go to ESPN and they'd maybe have a couple new articles a day, but that was it. Now it's like a million plus other websites. So it doesn't really help you because it's not an advantage. It's just everyone else is doing it. Um, and I think that also Google did have something in the algorithm like a freshness update. Some people call it the caffeine update where they preferred sites that did update all the time because this was something that they probably found that users liked. So they put a, they um, had a preference for that. But then like most things in SEO, we ruined it and there were like people just publishing spam all the time. There are auto blogs that would automatically publish <laughs> stuff that was like robot written and they, they took that out. So, you know, it, the way to look at it is instead of looking at your site and say, okay, I need to publish like X amount of times, just go keyword by keyword and just say, how can I create the best result for this keyword? How can I make someone searching for this say, wow, this is the one because Google is getting better at measuring that. Um, and the better you can do that, the better off you're going to be. If you could do that every day, more power to you, do it every day. If you can do it once a month, that's fine too. If you can do it once every two months, it's totally fine. It's better to do that than to just publish for the sake of publishing because I know people that had, have done that recently and it just does not work. It's like we talked about earlier. It's hard to get your content to stand out. 50 mediocre posts aren't better than – uh, one amazing post. One amazing post will beat 50 or 100 mediocre posts every single time. Google is all about the cream rising to the top. If you're not the cream, you're not going to rise to the top no matter how many, how often you publish. Right. Well, and that fits in with what you were talking about earlier with distribution. So email and social media marketing have their place. If you're in a niche where there's no need to write something every day, every week, every whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be sharing that on a much reg more regular basis. I know with Twitter the way it is right now, I could share it three or four times a day every day and not everybody would see it. Organically on Facebook, same thing. I could be posting it organically on a regular basis and only a small tiny percentage of my audience connected on that channel would see it. So rather than creating new content over and over, I, for me, I think it's more about putting it out in an email message on a regular basis, you know, recapping things every so often and distributing it through social at a better pace. Yeah, definitely. That's a better use of your time, right? Because you're getting, you're taking that one piece of content and you're getting more out of it um, than if you just publish it, move down to the next one. Because it does take time. I mean, it's easy to post on social media, but it's, but the way you're doing it is smart. You're like tying it into things that are happening. You're changing the way things are phrased. So then different people see it or the same person saw it twice. And the second time compels them. It takes time to do that. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, that's a better use of your time than, than just moving on to the next post. So I a hundred percent agree that that is a better approach. 
Well, and the amount of traffic that that generates back to the post, the Google pays attention to that. How many people are actually reading that? How many people are clicking on that and sticking around and then clicking on another related article? All that stuff matters to the value of that page. Yeah, totally. Plus brand affinity. So this is yeah. something that um, Larry Kim from WordStream, another guy who would be great for the show, um, he's huge into this. It's, it's a theory, I guess, but there's credence to it, I think. And it's just if people, you know, say someone knows your brand, search Talk Live. And I search for something in Google and I see your website, Robert, I'm more likely to click on it if I know your brand, of course. And that's going to help your click-through rate, which is important for SEO. So you know, if you share your stuff and get it seen on social or or change it into different content formats and post in different places, that's going to get more people to know your brand. Then when they search for a keyword later and they see your site and the results, they're going to be more likely to click on yours. So it's also good for the goose, good for the gander. Yeah. You know, one thing that gets me is, you know, so let's say Twitter, for example, you get a lot of people that will actually share your or retweet your your post, but actually don't read it. The percentage is very small reader to, you know. It is. And that that's one of the reasons that the visual content, longer content works is just because it's a shortcut for people to say, hey, this is good or a lot of work went into this and they're more likely to share it. Even if they don't read it. There was a study, I think Slate did it, where they looked at how many people actually read their content versus shared it. And I think 80% of the people that shared it didn't read it at all. <laughs> so you're, right, you're absolutely right. Yeah. All right. Let's see. You got anything else, Michelle? Uh, da, 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 da. So we've got, what, about 10 minutes left? We do. I want... Brian, if you don't mind, to drill down into the importance of actually cultivating relationships. I know, yeah, reposting something, revamping something, and going back through the people that had linked to an older or less valuable version is a good place to start. But once you've kind of made that first contact and you've successfully gotten them to link to something else, you kind of hinted earlier on that, hey, I've already established um, some sort of relationship with it. How much of this process over time actually becomes the relationship building aspect of it more than the link building aspect of it? Uh, I would say some. Uh, it, it's kind of a mix. So it kind of depends if you hit it off with the person. Like, you know, I've worked with people. I've found people I work with that I reach out to them from cold email for a link pitch or something and, and we ended up working together on something or we're friends um, or you know we met up at a conference later and that was the the spark that we got to talk and we ended up having beers so um, I would say some but it's like anything in life you know you're going to meet a lot of people but you're not going to have like deep relationships with most of them you know there's going to be a small percentage that you do so I'd say yeah it's important to build those relationships and not look at everything as a transaction which in SEO we tend to you know, it tends to be like, oh, I said, like we were talking about before, I send 100 emails, I get you know a 10% conversion rate or whatever. Again, those are 100 people, and that's 10 people that actually took time out of their day to reply to your email and, and add a link. Um, and that's something that's worth that's worth something. So I think you're right. It's 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 part of it. It depends on a lot of factors. Like you know, if you want more relationships, you're going to get it. If you're just looking for links, like a lot of agencies, you're you know, relationships aren't going to happen, uh, especially if you're not the person that created the content, because then 
there's like you're kind of a mercenary that's just trying to get links and they're not going to want to build a relationship with that person versus you're the creator and they want to ask you a question about it or a comment on it or something and that can be the start. So yeah, relationship building is really important and that's one of the great things about email outreach is, is that as long as you're not pushy, you're not being a jerk, you can. it's a great way to build relationships because email is so personal. Compared to something like Twitter or Facebook, everyone can see the whole interaction. In email, it's an intimate setting. People are used to being more personal there and it's a great uh, catalyst for building relationships with people. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> So I get this a lot. People are asking me, how do you link build? Because it, it, you know, this came from a person in an agency that, you know, how do you scale it? Because of the, you know, if you're working with hundreds of sites in an agency, what is the best way to scale that? I don't know. Paul, I have two minds about this one, honestly. Uh, I'm not as definitive as some other stuff we talked about today. Part mm-hmm. of me thinks don't scale. Um, yeah. You know, it's like I was reading today. Um, in, uh, in the book Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, he interviewed um, one of the best chefs in New York City. He's, he had a restaurant that you know 20 years ago was considered the best restaurant in the world. Now it's again and it, it's always in like the top five and he has this run of 20 years of being in the top five restaurants in the world, which is just incredible. And he said that you know one of his secrets is that he only has one location. If I had two – I wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the best restaurant in the world anymore. And then if you extend that to three or four or five or six or seven restaurants, the quality diminishes with every new location in a way, especially after that first one. And I think it's the same with link building because you know that relationship piece is important, the personalization piece is important, um, and it's not. And you can scale it, but there's a line you cross very quickly that basically is spam. Um, and uh, so I would say, like you know, if you're an agency with a hundred clients. You should know how to do you need to be listening to a podcast. <laughs> Listen to my advice on how to scale our race. You should have that down pat. If right. you don't, stop listening and go figure that out because I'm not <laughs> going to be the one to tell you because I ran a little tiny boutique ASU agency. We had a, a, a few clients and that and I had my own properties and stuff, but it was, you know, not doing a hundred thousand outreach emails a month or something crazy like that. So I would say, like, you know, don't scale. The other side is uh, the other answer is if you do want to scale. Um, and you get into the nitty gritty of link building, you'll discover that like 90% of it plus <clears throat> is a lot of grunt work, like um, finding pages to get links from, finding mm-hmm. the place where you're, finding the person to contact, finding the email address, you know, drafting the email, right. all that stuff's like pretty easy to outsource um, or automate. Then there's that last 10%, which is the personalizing the email, uh, maybe building a relationship with somebody. And that's, that that can help you scale a lot because if you have the same person doing the personalization as finding the person's email, it's a lot harder to scale because that person is probably expensive to have on your team um, versus something that can can you can do it cheaply, um, sometimes outsourcing or even automating in some cases. So I look at that ninety percent and just work work on making that as efficient as possible, and the last ten percent keeping that as boutique feeling as personal feeling as you can. Very good. So I want to thank you for being on the show, man. It's been an amazing. I'm glad you uh, finally got to be on. <laughs> no problem. I'm honored. It's great. Episode 100. It was great yeah. to be here. <laughs> so, uh, Michelle, mm-hmm. anything you want to add before we close up? Um, I would only add that while you're thinking about getting backlinks from the rest of the 
internet, don't forget to make sure that your linking structure within your website is also top notch. Yeah. And make sure you email Michelle. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 Yes, please reach out to me. I am all over the internet. Just come talk to me and we can, we can go into this much further. Send those link requests to her. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So Brian, so people that want to listen to you or watch your videos, where can they go on YouTube? Well, the best way is just to go to the Backlinko YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube and search for Backlinko, you can find it. And then you can subscribe from there. Okay. And your website? Is uh, Backlinko.com. And Twitter? <laughs> At Backlinko. There's That's, a theme here. It's pretty easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All Yay, right. Brian has branding down. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> All right, Brian, thank you so much for being on. And our 100th episode we have completed it. (laughs) Thanks, Robert and Michelle. Thanks everyone for listening. I want to give a special shout out uh, to people in other countries because apparently we're really popular in the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, Sweden. I know one of those people in Sweden, uh, Germany, Poland, Denmark, France, and India. We're listening to all over the place, but uh, surprisingly UK being the smallest of all of them, is 6.5% of our listeners. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Um, so th- thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for your support. 100 episodes. Michelle, you got something you want to add? I think that does it. Congratulations on 100 episodes, and let's do 100 more. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Oh, and by the way, next week we have uh, Yost Devok. Uh, creator of the Yoast plugin. I'm sure some of you have heard of that, right? <laughs> See you next week, guys. Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. If you have questions for Search Talk Live or you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor of the show, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's searchtalklive.com.